this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to Disney Insights. This week, we met up with a lightsaber celebration to commemorate the opening of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge in Disney's Hollywood Studios and Walt Disney World. This greatest, biggest addition to the studio's park came with enormous anticipation. We'll dial back uh, the clock to commemorate those moments and talk about the most galactic memories I've had experiencing this corner of the cosmos. We'll also go through the land, the attractions, the food and beverage, the retail experience, and so much more as we know what works best and, well, what could still be improved upon. Join us as we celebrate the first four years of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. You can celebrate in part by also visiting DisneyInsights.com. There you're going to be able to, well, be able to check out the videos and photos and um, concepts that we're going to be covering as part of the podcast. By the way, make sure you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already and give us a rating, review, or referral to others. Also, check out Disney Insights where we offer key points, photos, videos, links, and more to everything we share in our podcast. While there, please subscribe to that site so you can be notified of upcoming podcasts. Also, check out our Facebook page, Disney Insights, and our YouTube page of the same name. If you get a chance, please join those so you can also participate. Well, my galactic memories of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge comes, well, frankly, way back to D23 in 2015. Uh, I think, as I recall that event, there was already good rumor about a Star Wars edition. In fact, I believe that the backstage tour of at Disney's Hollywood Studios had already um, ceased operation and it was a matter of time before there was an announcement of what was going there. And the expectation was that it was going to be based on Star Wars. Bob Iger made uh, the announcement in the opening session and there was amazing noise and excitement and, and um, a lot of positive reception. That continued on during the parks uh, presentation where a lot of images were presented surprisingly more on task to what was being created. Although when you looked at it at that time, you're just going, okay, what is this? What is this supposed to be? It looks Star Wars-ish, but it looked like um, it, it didn't know what it was supposed to be. And, and it, you could tell at this point, and this is again going back to 2015, you could tell at that point that this was not based on a current land in Star Wars, but on some other planet and experience. At any rate, the excitement, the enthusiasm, I would have to say that was probably one of the best uh, D23s I ever had a chance to present. A lot of other stuff, great stuff was presented there. Big exhibit on Shanghai Disney before it opened. It was just a very cool uh, D23 event. Now you fast forward two years later to the following um, D23. And that was where I had the opportunity to first see 
this model, which stretched out, uh, I'd have to say about 15 yards in terms of its expanse. It was a fairly sizable uh, model that they had presented and created for uh, for D23 to show off. Parts of it ended up being later put into One Man's Dream as part of the exhibit there, but it was a fraction of the whole of it. Uh, as I look back on images of it now, and I'll show you some images when you visit Disney Insights, you will see particularly in the one I show that, um, that uh, this model was actually a depiction of the Disneyland version of Galaxy's Edge. Now, as I've perhaps mentioned before, the difference between one Galaxy's Edge and another is really very, very minor. Um, there are a couple of things you notice. First off, placements of ships um, in the camp area. And then most importantly, there is a third entrance that stems off of Fantasyland. Of course, you didn't know that it was coming off Fantasyland. You didn't know a whole lot of details, but I studied that. I filmed it. I, I, I put more photos to that thing to gather all the possible details I could to understand what this thing was going to be all about. And in fact, uh, one of the very interesting, cool things is that there was somehow they were they were holding back the crowds just after me so that um uh josh from um frozen could come in and take a look at it himself he kind of almost there were only two or three of us in front of this model at one point and Josh Gad was one was uh, invited as a VIP to come in and take a look. Of course, by then Frozen had gone crazy, and everybody knew who Josh Gad was. But um, but at any rate, I do remember seeing that and just being part of that experience. I should say between those two events, I missed um, noting something, and that was probably the first lightsaber celebration I had ever been to. Now I think these occurred in Star Wars celebrations that occurred at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I don't have a lot of photo or video to show that to be the case, but when Carrie Fisher and her mother just shortly afterwards died at the end of 2016, there was a gathering at Disney's Hollywood Studios where uh, fans of Star Wars not only brought their lightsabers, many of them brought umbrellas, symbolizing Singing in the Rain, which Debbie Reynolds was in. So it was kind of a mix of, of, of lightsabers and umbrellas. If you want to see what this looks like, I depict it in, on video on DisneyInsights.com. So go check it out. It's a very short video, but it gives you a sense of how everybody just gathered for that event and the power of that, that experience. Now, fast forward to opening. Opening occurred at Disneyland a couple of months prior to opening at Walt Disney World. And I had the chance to be there that first week at Disneyland. So I really had a chance to sample everything that was gonna go, was going to open at Walt Disney World on that first day. And in fact, um, we, so that gave me an opportunity to just really focus on the crowds and, and just kind of take it all in when Walt Disney World's version opened four years ago. Uh, this week, and uh, and I actually uh, again on 
Disney Insights, I show video of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opening up and I show the 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 queue that stretched out. Mind you, Rise had not opened. It was really Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run that had opened. And the queue for that went all the way out of the Rise camp toward Grand Avenue. And it wove back and forth behind the scenes uh, behind what was the great movie ride, soon to become Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. It then wove into Star Wars Land, went kind of all the way on the right-hand side, then then kind of went out the entrance where Toy Story Land was, did a little bit of weaving in there, then kind of followed along uh, by the TIE Fighter all the way past the cantina. And then when it arrived in front of the Millennium Falcon, there was an opening backstage and it it, it went back out there. It was just craziness. There were so many fans who had come to be part of that opening day. And again, the pre-dawn crazy crowds I show in a video if you want to come check it out. It's on Disney Insights. It's pretty, uh, pretty cool. And, um, and it, there was a great energy. There's just a great energy and people were so ready and so excited for Star Wars. And Avatar, Pandora, the world of Avatar had already opened uh, a couple of years past. And then also um, um, uh, Toy Story Land had also opened the previous year. And people loved the, those lands, but this was going to be on a bigger scale and people were excited uh, to see that. So I just have great memories of that very early morning, catching everything, getting my first blue milk there um, and enjoying it. Fast forward to um, the day Rise of the Resistance opened. That was special because I had one of my business groups with me. It was a tight group of about five or six individuals. And I told them the night before, I said, now I should let you know, we're going to be at Disney's Hollywood Studios tomorrow. Um, they opened up Star Wars Galaxy's Edge a couple of months ago, but their big signature ride, Rise of the Resistance, is going to open tomorrow. And if you want a chance to, to, to visit that, we're going to need to be in the park around 6 a.m., and 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 I understand if you don't want to do that, that's cool. that's all cool. It's not part of the the business program I'm offering, but it is a unique experience. If we can happen to get um, a virtual fast pass for that, and by golly, they all agreed to that. We all got in there really early in the morning, and guess what? We managed, and I think by the way, David Zanola of Zanola Travel was a part of helping me to get those fast passes secured. But we we got those virtual fast passes and were really excited. The highlight of going on Rise of the Resistance was the fact that at the very end, who should be checking out how the crowds were responding and and reacting to the ride, but portfolio, Imagineering portfolio creative executive Scott Trowbridge. He was right there actually. Uh, grabbed a photo. There had been previous in the months uh, since the park had opened, both at Disneyland and uh, Walt Disney World, there have been a lot of negative, ah, is this the only thing there? And um, I can't believe they don't have Rise ready to open. It's really, you know, and, and, and basically Imagineering was posturing and saying, look, it's just going to take us a little while longer to get it right and to get it 
get it up and going. And I'm telling you, it was so worth it. The first day being on that attraction was so worth it. Now we're going to talk about its uh, its ability to, to to stay up and running a, a little while longer. But but to meet Scott Trowbridge on that day and to see his face as he saw everybody coming off of that ride, it is truly one of the great rides. Many people say it's the best ride Disney has ever built. I still hold my heart toward Pirates at at Disneyland, but I gotta say it's it's in a neat little second place because it is truly a well done attraction. Now move forward, I finally got around to my first droid purchase and uh, that was so much fun. Did that with my daughter who purchased her droid. We had so much fun checking out and figuring out which one. I got an R2 um, model, she got the other. And uh, we just had a great deal of fun putting that together and assembling it. And and just recently, I've brought it out for my granddaughter. She plays with it and the controls and everything. And it's so much fun still to play with. We do play with it actively. I can't say I've done the same thing with the lightsaber because I've purchased the lightsaber. But I've been to, well, we'll talk about the lightsaber experience a little later. But... But that first droid experience was also a real highlight for me, as well as a later event where I had a chance to bring my two boys who I, you know, they were youngsters when we were going to the first three, um, uh, the prequels, and we had gone to each of them. And to see their face as they went on these attractions for the first time, seeing rides for the first time, it was so fun to see it in their eyes and to see my oldest son have his grand his daughter my granddaughter with him uh it just there those were big memorable moments i will also tell you another big memorable moment because uh rise opened in the late november early december uh period as i recall of 2019 and then just a few months later uh, Walt Disney World shut down, as did Disneyland, which had just opened its Rise of the Resistance attraction later than we did. So they opened the whole land first, and then we opened the land, and then we got to open Rise first, and then they opened Rise second. And I don't think they got more than two weeks, even maybe less than that, before uh, they had to shut down Disneyland. And a lot of folks who were so excited about going on Rise of the Resistance just... um just didn't get a chance out at Disneyland. So, but I do remember a few months later, finally coming back to Disney's Hollywood Studios for the first time after COVID. Of course, we're in masks, we're all social distancing and doing that. But to come back to that land was an emotional experience. To be there as night fell and to see those blue canyon walls. And that was one of those quintessential moments where I truly felt like I had come back home to Disney. And it was, I, I can't begin to describe the emotion of returning there after that that um, that uh, several month hiatus. For Disneyland, it was even another year before or more before they opened up on a consistent basis uh, and they were able to enjoy the attractions. Um, I will share one other little fun memory I have of enjoying uh, Galaxy's Edge is when Mandalorian and Grogu, um, baby uh, Yoda, uh, came out for meet and greets. So fun, so cool. 
you just came up to him, approached him. I got a great little selfie with them. And uh, again, it part of the whole, the whole magic of being there. I have to say that the other night when I was there, uh, when they had the lightsaber event, and I have a video of that that you can check out of everyone gathering for that event. When, um, when I was there that night, I later was at Fantasmic, and three people were behind me. They had brought their lightsabers, and two of them had been to the park several times. One had never been before. And to hear their excitement, I asked them the question, it, it, as a Star Wars fan, and these were clearly Star Wars fans, as a Star Wars fan, does Galaxy's Edge connect with you? And all three said, absolutely. It is so immersive, and I feel like I am just part of the Star Wars experience. It has successfully really done very well. In fact, I was also talking to my son about that yesterday. And do you, do you like the Star Wars land? Because it's not it's not the planet Hoth. It's not Tatooine. It's not Coruscant. There is it is a unique new planet to you. Does it feel like Star Wars when you're there? And when you think about the land, and by the way, I've got lots of videos check out on Disney Insights. So make sure you check that out. But but I asked my son about that, who's um, pretty particular. In fact, really didn't give an outstanding review to the new Star Wars Disney Plus edition. But at any rate, he said, absolutely. I just, it feels like Star Wars when you are there. And I have to agree, the intimacy, the feel, the, sh the, the way, the walks, um, you know, you don't see some big expanse. You, you come upon the Millennium Falcon as you head around a corner, as you as you come around one side and go down a stairwell, it, it really, that intimacy and feel, that sense of discovery as you are going through the land, so powerful. It is one of the things that really succeeds in, in, in both uh, parks is that sense of being immersed and lost in an entirely unique land. I love the intimacy and the feel. And again, I have to come back to, and I will probably several times, if you've not been there at, at, at the in, during the evening hours, to grab a blue milk and just enjoy the ambience at night. Watch everybody leave. I, I cannot get enough of that experience. Unfortunately, other things like Fantasmic and other uh, activities kind of keep taking me away from it. But I... When I'm there by myself, you can bet I will be there at night to close out that section of the park. It just feels so good. Now, if I were to put in an improvement, and these are, well, one's a little more expensive than the other, but one, it takes practically nothing. And the first thing is, is I think there is a mistake when you enter the lands on both sides or, or in the three entrances at Disneyland, when you enter those lands and you do not hear the John Williams Star Wars music, that would emotionally connect people to an entire universe. And that's why I think that music is so pivotal. Now you get the music in Millennium Falcon to a degree and even more so at Rise of the Resistance and also in other things such as the lightsaber experience. But but really, you need to have it just as you go through and enter Universal's um, um, 
Jurassic Park and the gates open and you hear that John Williams music, you know you're in Jurassic Park. That is something I feel that is also missed. And then there's another thing, and I, I will mention it because I did look at an original concept drawing that I put online. And if I would say there's a big difference between that concept drawing, I mean, the layout of the building is a little different, but the big difference between that concept drawing and the other is more lush vegetation. They took a very practical view of putting in vegetation, particularly it's a little greener in Disneyland, but at Walt Disney World, they put in vegetation that frankly does not require a lot of water to, to make happen. It, it's, um, it's more of an arid, it's not cactus, but it's more of an arid type um, landscape design. And I think that's a miss. I think people need more shade, more trees, more moss, more green. It needs to feel overgrown. I think with the black spires of black spire outposts, it would make, it would turn that to, I know that's a little more expensive, put in the irrigation systems and different vegetation. But if I were to make two changes to the entire land, that's, those are the two changes. One a little more expensive than the other, but both really creating a much more, um, uh, a deeper experience, I think, to, to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Now, let's talk about the two attractions. Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run opened on day one. That was a little different for folks because they didn't, un they really didn't know uh, the main animatronic character, the pirate figure that, um, that uh, but they knew Chewie and so that, that was familiar. I will say that I think the queue in Smuggler's Run is outstanding on many levels first of all you arrive the whole arrival experience with the millennium falcon itself and the concept that you're going to drive the millennium falcon it is so beautifully engineered how they how they fashion you through that building and you get to see as you go through the many layers of the millennium falcon from underneath all the way down looking through the top of it so smart so such a great use of the Millennium Falcon and being able to really see it as you were going through the queue experience. But also as you go through the bays where they are fixing uh, different ships and so forth, we talk in Disney lingo about the idea of, um, of uh, where Disney animation had a multiplying camera to give you a sense of depth. Here, that multiplying layered camera effect happens in a vertical, not horizontal, but vertical format. So you have these different layers, especially as you are ascending up to, to the second floor. There are these layers you see below the ship that's being fixed. You see you see the bo the bottom floor of the of the uh, facility. You see these layers of of walkways, even just there is multiple layers, about five different five or six different layers, vertically to this attraction that keeps you looking up and down as you go through it. So really well designed, and I also have to say 
that what works is their ability to accommodate so many on the Millennium Falcon. I'll save that conversation about how they make that work. But when they are taking six people and making you feel like you're really flying that and they're keeping that line moving, there is a lot of investment at work to make that happen and and to make it feel like you are literally stepping into the cockpit of an actual Millennium Falcon as you've already walked through the interior of it. So brilliantly designed, so well executed. Now, if there would be one thing to improve. It is <laughs> variety and ride experience. In fact, I'm talking to this group, the, the three that were behind me, they had a goal every time they went. I do not recommend this, but their goal was to go to the cantina, get as many drinks as possible, and then fly the Millennium Falcon as stupidly as possible. And um, and they said it doesn't always work that much because they don't always end up getting the, the pilot um, designation. But but the fact of the matter is, then, then the conversation began, can you really fly that uh, Falcon poorly? It seems to me there needs to be a larger bandwidth of where to go and what you would experience. I've done the attraction at least 40 times. I love the attraction, but but I love the attraction up until the ride portion, to be honest. The ride portion has become kind of, okay, I know it's, I'm looking for the things that you do different. And there is a little different thing you can do where you can have um, um, uh, the pirate, I'm forgetting the pirate's name in um, Galaxy's Edge, but but he can actually can uh, go with you um, as you go through the attraction and kind of um, create some aspects of that um, as you go through. So it's kind of uh, Hondo Anaka. Thank you. I'm I'm sorry that I'm I'm forgetting that. But anyway, and I like the Honda Anaka character. Again, I love the queue. I just think there needs to be a little bit more bandwidth, a little more variety in ride experiences. They promised that for Star Tours for 20 plus years before they finally created the Adventures Continued. And I love the variety there. Here, I'm, I think we need this sooner than later. That's my thought on it. Now, what about Rise of the Resistance? Well, the size and scope of this attraction. The fact that you go from a base camp to to um, to a pivotal moment with Ray to boarding a ship to ending up on a Death Star, uh, star Destroyer to um, going through the Star Destroyer to escaping the Star. I don't want to give away too much if you haven't been on this attraction, but this is this is long and this is complex and this is varied. And this is, this is immersive. This is truly a fantastic attraction. And it, and just the other night again, going on it again, you just can't help but absolutely love what you experience on Rise of the Resistance. It just is so amazing what they've done even when things don't quite work well and there are moments where something doesn't. Even if you are the first time or you've never been on it, you probably won't know what doesn't work. Too often, Kylo Ren 
particularly in the end scene, although this last weekend I not only saw that he wasn't in animatronic form in the end scene, but he also wasn't functioning. He was just stationed in the um, scene where they are both in the, uh, not the cockpit of the Star Destroyer, but in the in the um, the main cabin the, the where they um, drive the ship. At any rate, there are other little things that struggle to function. Of course, it's gone through a lot of, it's got through much of the more or less three years it's been functioning. Again, maybe more two and a half when you add the COVID months. It has had a lot of downtime. No question. I've been up when it goes to downtime. It's disappointing. Um, but I wouldn't change a thing about the original idea, about any of the original concepts at work, the cannons in that sequence. I wish they would go back to tilting back and forth and firing. That is a powerful sense of trying to work around those cannons. Just a fantastic, marvelous, brilliant, surprising experience. If you've never been on an, I do have a video of it if you, if you want the spoilers, but, but I gotta tell you, this is just a great attraction, but it's operational reliability. Oh my goodness, there is so much more that could be done in terms of getting it to work operationally. No, in, in a reliable kind of way. In fact, I've, I was one day in, and by the way, I'm not a big fan of the caves either. Caves I thought were a little disappointing as a standby cue, but the rest of it is great. And I was, I was talking to a cast member one day in the standby groove, and she kind of knew that I was a former Disney cast member. I said, do you, um, do you end up spending a lot of nights practicing egress and, or basically what you have to do is exit the, everybody out of the attraction when there's a fire alarm or, or an emergency comes up and she goes, Oh no, no, we get plenty of opportunity of practicing egress during the day. We don't have to practice it at night, which is unfortunate. A, um, uh, a negative comment toward <laughs> toward that attraction, but um, but at any rate, it is it is the pivotal, it is it is the crown jewel of um, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and I wouldn't change any of it. Just keep it running, keep it running. Talk about food and beverage. Um, so different when they came out with all of the different uh, concoctions. Uh, for um, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge um, and beginning with Blue Milk. Now, um, which I think is a great little drink. It seems like the size keeps um, getting smaller and smaller, but but uh, I love it. Folks love, folks who enjoy especially drinking, I've been in it many times, but Star Wars... Um, the Ogas Cantina is definitely a favorite of so many because, um, you know, they love to drink and they the drinks are such specialized drinks and so forth. They're really kind of fun. I love Ronto Roasters. I especially love the breakfast options. I don't get to the park early enough in the day too often to take advantage of it, but I that is probably one of my favorite breakfast foods. Better than a Mickey Waffle. Maybe not as good as a Mickey Waffle done 
in cinnamon sugar, but but it is uh, like Tonga toast. But um, but it is definitely. I love Ronto wraps. I love that whole thing. My concern, my my disappointment is 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 that that uh, where the Ronto wraps are sold at Ronto Roasters closes like three thirty in the afternoon. It's still available over at Docking Bay Seven, but it's it's just a little disappointing. I've tried most everything at uh, Docking Bay 7, the Felucian Garden Spread, the Kato Ribs, uh, even the Andorian Yip, Tip Yip. Um, I've enjoyed all of them. Some I've enjoyed more, like the, the Felucian Garden, Garden Spread. I, 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 and I enjoy the setting for doing that. Um, and over the weekend, I actually... Um, tried out the new drink. Well, I didn't try it out there. I actually tried it at Disneyland and then tried it out um, over the weekend. There is a new blue milk drink. I can't remember the title of it, but I will put an image of it on the on the on Disney Insights. But it basically has some pop rocks on the top and then kind of um, a raspberry kind of syrup that kind of swirls around the edge. And I really love that. $10, a little high-end, and the, again, the cup sizes keep getting small. If I had any one comment uh, that kind of frustrates me as it relates to to food and beverages is they open with some really unique things. I just, but I would keep liking, I'd like to have more snacks, for instance, at um, at the milk stand. I'd like to try out some new things. And they seemingly change the menu more often at Disneyland than they really do at Walt Disney World, which is, again, kind of a disappointment. Also, the price seems to continue. Well, let me also say this. If there's one opportunity, one huge, huge, huge opportunity, is originally, I believe they were going to make a sit-down restaurant next to Olga's Cantina between it and where the um, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser was was bringing folks in from the Star Cruiser. That space in there was supposed to be, as I understood it, a, a lounge, not a lounge, but a, um, a full dining experience. Oh, please bring that in. That would be so huge. The, the demand for it would be enormous. It would be so much fun, um, especially for those of us who don't want to depend on the drink, which is the kind of the thing that's kind of it takes the edge off of me for Olga's Cantina. I just I'm not there to drink and there aren't really great snacks um, or enough of them to really um, warrant spending time, which I enjoy the setting. So I think that's uh I think that's an opportunity is now that the Galactic Star Cruiser is going away, let's take that concept, let's take that entertainment, let's take that that dining experience, the food they created and all the work that was done and put it into a sit-down dining experience. The next thing I would say is retail. And what works is the retail settings are just, they're just fantastic for, um, for uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, I think the variety of what they have to offer there is is very clever. Uh, for me, I, if there's an opportunity to improve, maybe some of it might have to do with um, uh, 
or merchandise when you are in Merchant Row where Black Spire Outfitters is Jules of Beth, Bena's Creature Stall, and the Toydarian's Toy Shop. But you can't help but love Doc Ondar's Den of Iniquities. Wow, great theming. Love the animatronic there. Such a great setting. And if you love Star Wars, you're going to find something that you're absolutely going to love. First Order Cargo is really cool too. Um, if I also would mention that um, Launch Bay had a Star Wars store for things like phone um, cases and and uh, graphic art and so forth that wouldn't necessarily fall into the, the storyline of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I'd love to see that open as well. Got to talk about two things when you talk about retail. Droid Depot, so adorable, so cute, so fun. And I really enjoyed my droid, putting together my droid. And I think I'm ready to kind of buy some additional uh, devices to kind of outfit it and, and give it a little bit uh, more variation. There's so many great pieces of retail in Droid Depot. And of course, the, the, the opportunity to create a droid out of scratch or out of what they have available for you. So much fun. Uh, Savi's Workshop. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I have so much Disney stuff. I've never really quite figured out wh where and what I would do with the hand-built lightsaber. But I have to say, going to and seeing form that lightsaber celebration the other night, I thought, ah, there's a reason to get a, have a lightsaber and come to those events. Of course, now do I have to get clothes and all that? I don't know. Anyway, but um, so... I, at, and then the price has gone up. Oh, it makes me wish I had bought it sooner. So, but I would like to do the hand-built lightsaber and and do it with a family member who would really appreciate that that moment. So I've got to I've got to look for that opportunity um, as well. When you get into Streetmosphere, um, I think uh, what they've had, particularly with the recent edition of Mandalorian and Grogu. So, um, so cool. Osaka, um, is that her name? Osaka, um, uh, for Star Wars. I hope I'm saying it right. Sounds like I'm talking about sushi. Osaka, yeah. Um, I'd love to see her make an appearance in, um, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. We don't need to pay attention so much to the original storylines that were tied to the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Uh, interactive games, I'd like to see more purpose in them. I, I think they're interesting, but I don't know, I, I, I don't have the so what for the interactive games. That is, a and, and by the way, there were some interactive elements on that ship, and there, I'd love a little place where if you got so many points on the interactive games that they had, you had a chance to see uh, a beamed up version of Yoda or someplace in a very secluded meet and greet location. Let's bring these things in. More celebrations like the, like what we saw the other day with um, um, the fourth anniversary and the lightsaber celebration. Um, more meet and greets, all of that. I, I And by the way, I'd also say, especially as an addition could be approved, 
they had a very popular Jedi training Trials of the Temple, which was situated next to Star Tours. I think you need to move that over to the base camp. And it would fit into the storyline of what the base camp is all about. We're training new Jedis to help here in camp to the New Order. Um, it might it might take on a little different storyline, but man, that could be a huge interactive element, really bring out opportunities for youth to enjoy it. Uh, I think that needs to come back. It's one of the few things, not the only thing, but if one of the few things that has not been brought back with um, Disney's uh, Hollywood Studios uh, reopening after COVID. And I would love to see the Jedi training Trials of the Temple or some variation of that added. Also droids. They had a droid that wandered around in the Galactic Star Cruiser. Let's see some droids wander around. It's not so overwhelming in size, especially if you did it not at the beginning of the day, end of the day. So cool to see those kinds of things occur. We need to see more of that in the park. I love Star Wars uh, Galaxy's Edge. I think it was a great investment. I think it has huge potential and, and a potential that doesn't require a whole lot more investment to take it over the top. But there is so much already to enjoy. If you've never been there, definitely you need to to come visit. And if you've been there before, I invite you to think about have have you you know have you done the um, the uh, droid ex, uh, you know put together a droid experience? Have you done the cantina? Have you been able to meet Mandalorian? I'd look for a new adventure when you come back and try to experience it. I think you will be glad you did. Um, so congratulations and happy fourth anniversary, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Well, thank you for joining us on this Disney Insights podcast. Know that it is provided and sponsored by myself and Performance Journeys. If you want a keynote speaker, we're more than just nice stories because I provide insight and solutions that have worked in the trench. If you need consulting solutions, happy to do that because I've done it for decades across the public, private, nonprofit arena. Need support, we offer classroom online um, programs, workshops, seminars around customer service delivery, uh, leadership development, employee engagement. So much, contact us today at Performance Journeys. Again, thank you for being part of this podcast and please share it with someone else and let them know so others can can uh, hear more and again in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage always follow the compass of your heart have a great day may the force be with you <laughs>